Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, the Apostle Paul says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, because the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Let's just bow for a word of prayer as we begin our time. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it clarifies confusion. Thank you that it opens our eyes, that it informs our mind and our heart, that we, as we have even seen tonight, know your attributes by what you have said and by how you have commanded us to live. We know the truth of salvation because you have declared it and you have shown it to be true through the gift of your Son. So we pray tonight that we would understand this grand truth before us, that we would fully grasp all that you would have for us as you desired even the Galatians during the time which this was written and all men from eternity past to understand that justification in your eyes, is only by your declaration. So we thank you for that, and we ask your blessing on our time tonight. In Christ's name, amen. You've probably noticed from the title of this message that it seems rather strange to say it that way. Christ is the believer's curse. Maybe that prompted in your mind ideas as to what we would be thinking through tonight. We live in a day when we don't think much about cursing. We don't think about it really on a relative scale. If the subject is talked about at all, it usually revolves around words, words that we call curse words. We all know those words in our society. They are Words used by the ignorant, really, that tear down others. Words that speak of defiled things and impure things. They are words that are sadly and blasphemously attached to God. They speak about God as if God is some kind of adjective that is attached to other words to describe other perverse things. But that is not how the word curse was thought about when Paul was writing this letter and even in the ancient times. In the ancient times, a curse was something that would come upon you as a consequence of failure. The idea was that if you failed at something, you were cursed. It was equated with punishment, equated with penalty, equated with 
the breaking of some rules. So if you were a person that didn't carry out what was required of you by society or by some authority that was over you, then you would receive the curse. You would receive what was coming. You would bear the punishment. You would you would face the consequence for your failure to comply and fulfill what was required of you. You would have judgment upon you. When the nation of Israel had entered into the land that God was taking them to, the promised land, as we heard about even this morning with the illustration of Moses being uh, unable to go into the promised land because of his own disobedience, Israel was told by Moses to have, once they entered into the promised land, to have half of the people stand on one mountain and the other half on an opposite mountain when they went in. And so six tribes were to stand on Mount Gerizim, and the other six were to stand on Mount Ebal. Those mountains were opposite one another in the land of promise. And in an antiphonal way, much like a choir would sing back and forth to each other verses for a song antiphonally, the group of tribes on Mount Gerizim would shout the blessings of God and all that God had done for His people, and those on Mount Ebal would recite the cursings of God, the cursings for not obeying what God had said. And so I want us to turn back for just a moment to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28, because it it sheds some light for us into this whole idea of the principle of cursing. And this antiphonal sense in which from Mount Ebal the cursings would be proclaimed and from Mount Gerizim the blessings of God. And I want to read a rather lengthy section and then just make a few comments as we go along just so we can get an understanding of this. Moses, in verse chapter 27 of Deuteronomy, verse 1, Moses and the elders of Israel charged the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you today. So it shall be on the day when you cross the Jordan to the land that which the Lord your God gives you, that you shall set up for yourself large stones and coat them with lime and write all the words of this law on them. And when you cross over, in order that you may enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, a land flowing with milk and honey, and the Lord, the God of your fathers, the one they, the God of your fathers promised you. So it shall be when you cross the Jordan. You shall set up on the Mount Ebal these stones, as I am commanding you today, and you shall coat them in lime. Moreover, you shall build there an altar to the Lord with stone, uh, an altar of stones, and you shall not wield an iron tool on them. You shall build the altar of the Lord with uncut stones and shall offer the burnt offerings to the Lord your God. And you shall sacrifice peace offerings and eat there, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write on the stones all the words of this law very distinctly. And then Moses and the Levitical priests spoke to all Israel, saying, Be silent and listen, O Israel. This day you have become a people for the Lord your God. And you shall therefore obey the Lord your God and do His commandments and His statutes, which I am commanded you today. 
And Moses charged the people on that day, saying, When you cross the Jordan, you shall stand on Mount Gerizim and bless the people. And here you shall stand there, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Ishkar, Joseph, and Benjamin. Those were the tribes for to stand on Mount Gerizim. And for the curse, these shall stand on Mount Ebal, Reuben, and Gad, and Asher, and Zebulun, and Dan, and Naphtali. And the Levites shall then answer and say to all the men of Israel with a loud voice, Cursed is the man who makes an idol of molten image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of a craftsman, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Cursed is he who dishonors his father or mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who moves his neighbor's boundary mark. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who misleads a blind person on the road. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who distorts justice due an alien, an orphan, or a widow. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who lies with his father's wife because he was un- he has uncovered his father's skirt, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who lies with an animal, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who lies with his sister, the daughter of his father or, uh, or his mother, and all the people will say, Amen. Cursed is he who lies with his mother-in-law, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who strikes his neighbor in secret, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who accepts a bribe to strike down an innocent person, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say, Amen. So right there in Deuteronomy 27, you have God telling his people what they shall do to be reminded of what they, how they ought to treat one another and how they ought to treat their fellow people in the nation of Israel. And if they do not do it, they would be cursed. And all the people were in agreement. All the people were to say, Amen, which means, so let it be done. That is true. That is right. And we will do it. Chapter 28, Now it shall be, if you will diligently obey the Lord your God, be careful to do all of His commandments, which I command you today. The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you will obey the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed you shall be in the country. Blessed shall be the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground, the offspring of your beasts, the increase of your herd and your young or, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be the basket and the kneading bowl. Blessed shall be when you come in, and blessed you shall be when you go out. The Lord will cause the enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way, and they shall flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns and in all that you put your hand to. He will bless you in the land in which the Lord your God gives you. The Lord will establish you a holy people to himself as he swore to you if you will keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Go down a little farther, and he says, The Lord will, verse 12, the Lord will open for you his good storehouse, the heavens, and give you grain in the land and its season, and bless all the work of your hand, and you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord shall make you the head and not the tail, and you shall you 
only shall be above and you shall not be underneath if you will listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I charge you today to observe them carefully and do not turn aside from any of the words which I command you today. Notice the transition in verse 15, but it shall come about if you will not obey the Lord your God to observe all that his commandments and his statutes, which I charge you today that all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed you shall be in the city, and cursed you shall be in the country. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground, the increase of your herd, the young flock. Cursed shall be you be when you come in, and cursed you shall be when you go out. And the Lord will send upon you curses and confusion, rebuke and all you undertake to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the pestilence cling to you until he has consumed you from the land where you are entering to possess it. And the Lord will smite you with consumption and with fever and with inflammation and with fiery heat, with the sword and with the blight and with mildew. And they shall pursue you until you perish. Heaven which is over your head shall be bronze, and the earth which is under you iron. That just simply means the sun is going to be very hot and the ground is going to be very hard. You will not be able to work it. And the Lord will make the rain of your land powder and dust. From heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. Notice verse 26. Your carcasses shall be food for all the birds of the sky and to the beasts of the earth, and there shall be no one to frighten them away. Smite you with boils, the boils of Egypt, and tumors and scabs that will itch, that you cannot be healed. The Lord will smite you with madness, with blindness, with bewilderment of heart, and you will grope at noon like a blind man gropes in the darkness. You shall not prosper in your ways, but you shall only be oppressed and robbed continually, and none to save you. Even the betrothed of your wife shall be Another man will violate her, and you shall build a house, but you shall not live in it. You'll plant a vineyard, but you can't use its fruit. The ox will be slaughtered before your eyes. You shall not eat it. The donkey will be torn away from you. You shall not be restored. Sheep shall be given to your enemies, and you will not save. they will not save you. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people while your eyes look on, and you yearn for them continually, but there shall be nothing you can do. It goes on and on, and on. Curses of God for the sake of disobedience. It is a sad, sad, dark, dismal picture. We'll go back to Galatians chapter 3. Because the Apostle Paul intellectually knew about cursing. He was a Jew of Jews. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He knew the reality of the book of Deuteronomy. He knew what Deuteronomy 28 and 27 said. Intellectually, he knew all of that, but he also knew it experientially in his own life. You say, how so? Well, because Paul had been punished under the law five times for being considered a lawbreaker. In other words, Paul was a recipient of the curse of the law in an earthly way. 
Remember when he was writing to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 24, he says to them, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Why 39 lashes? Because the standard punishment for a violation was 40 lashes minus one. It was generally understood that 40 lashes would actually kill the person, so they they left one off. Take them up to the point whereby they would be at the point of death and yet suffering so much they could not even die. And so the lawbreaker was taken to that point, and while they were being whipped, while the person was having the skin of their flesh on their backs ripped away from the whip that was applied to them for it as they were tied to the post, there was usually a person there reading out the curses of the law. Reading out Deuteronomy 27 and Deuteronomy 28. So Paul, as he was receiving those blows five times from the Jews, he may have even heard the words that he reminds the Galatian believers of here in chapter 3 and verse 10. He says, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. That, beloved, is the futility of the law. That is the futility of the law. The law cannot bless. The law cannot give life. The law cannot offer a pardon. Its only consequence is cursing. That is what the law is waiting to do. The law is waiting to curse. It is waiting to judge. Oftentimes driving to church or from church, passing through the town of Chester, I oftentimes see the law enforcement sitting on the side of the road. They are waiting to curse. They're waiting for the law to be broken at such a level whereby they go and bless the person with cursing. That's what the law does. It's waiting to judge. That's the problem with attempting salvation by morality. That is the problem with attempting salvation by following a set of rules. It can never give life. The law of morality or the law of self-imposed righteousness or the law that, that is being driven before the Galatian believers by the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem who were infiltrating and saying, yeah, Jesus is good enough, or you can have Jesus by faith, but you need to do these things as well. All that is doing is waiting to curse someone. It can only bring death. And that's Paul's point. That's been Paul's point since he begin to ask the question of the Galatian believers in chapter 3, verse 1, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has caused your mind and your understanding of the gospel to be altered in such a way that you're willing to buy off on the reality that somehow you can gain life 
through the law. You cannot. It is impossible. Who has convinced you of that reality that is not a reality at all? It's an illusion. Who has convinced you that by some means of human rule-keeping, by some means of human striving at your own self-justifying, that it would provide life when it cannot? The law provides only one result. It provides cursing. Why? Why? Because God's law requires perfection in every way. God's law requires perfection in every way. Notice notice verse 10. He says, For as many as are of the works of the law, they're under a curse. Right? There's, there's the reality. That's the only thing the law can offer. It can only offer a curse. It doesn't offer anything other than a curse. It, it, it only waits to, to hammer someone who breaks the law. Why? Because it's written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. The law is performance-based. And that performance requirement is perfection. All things. This is the problem with trying to justify yourself by law-keeping. There's nothing wrong in and of itself with the law. The law is good. It is righteous. It is even just. But the law of God requires nothing less than complete and total compliance in every way to every detail all the time. The law offers no breaks, no days off, no hours of rest, no time to just sit back and and relinquish what you're doing. It is 100% all the time, 365, seven days a week, 24 hours a day on you. Even while you're sleeping. So not only must one keep God's law, but they must keep it perfectly. They must keep it continually and they must keep it in its entirety. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. It does not matter that a person is not a murderer. It does not matter that a person has not in some way committed adultery in this life. It does not matter that they have not committed some other offense that is deemed punishable or more heinous than someone else. Not one person has kept the law of God perfectly in its entirety continually. Therefore, all who rely upon personal morality for their justification before God, and that's exactly what the Galatians were being convinced to rely upon, this outward act of circumcision to add to Jesus Christ, anyone relying on personal acts of morality to justify themselves before God must understand that they are already under a curse because no one is perfect. And the law cannot supply justification. It only provides for a curse. 
Law has an inability, and its inability is to supply righteousness. It cannot supply justification for anyone. James chapter 2, verse 2 is clear, and it is helpful for us on this point. James 2, 2 says this, whoever keeps the whole law, in other words, whoever wants justification by that, that's the idea, that's what James is saying, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. It doesn't really matter that you didn't speed on 102. If you broke the law in some other way, you're guilty even of the law you didn't specifically break. So right there in James chapter 2, the consequences stated very clearly. The punishment or the curse for failing to keep God's perfect standard is God's righteous judgment. That's the... It's the way it works. The wages of sin is eternal spiritual death, Romans chapter 6. So every lawbreaker is rewarded with the only thing that the law can provide, and that is divine condemnation. That's all it can provide, divine condemnation. In fact, every lawbreaker deserves God's curse, both in this life and in all eternity. And so here are the Galatian brothers and sisters, and here is Paul laying out for them this reality that it's foolishness for them to even think about trying to gain some way of justification without believing in Jesus Christ alone. There's no way that the law can justify. It's not inherent in the law. And so here's the point of Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10. We are all lawbreakers. That's Paul's point. Paul's point is to the Galatians, listen, whether you have been circumcised or uncircumcised, it doesn't matter. You are a lawbreaker already. Because even if you get circumcised, it doesn't matter because you broke the law previous to circumcision because you are a sinner in your very nature. And it doesn't matter if you were circumcised prior to, like the Jews, you are a sinner by nature. You broke the law already. Therefore, we are all cursed by the law. doesn't matter. Now remember that the argument here that Paul is making, the overarching argument that we have been talking about for the last several weeks is that justification is by faith alone. Justification before God is by faith alone. And so it is a strong argument to show that not only is there no justification by the law, but even more so, the only thing that the law can give us is a curse. Not only can you not be justified by the law, but it is not even inherently in the law to exercise justification. And so the punishment for failing, even in the smallest of ways, to keep God's law's perfect standard is God's righteous curse. God's righteous curse. Every sin deserves divine condemnation, and therefore all people as sinners, are living in rebellion against God. I was thinking about the Westminster Catechism. 
recently, and here's how the Westminster Shorter Catechism expresses this very principle. It says, No mere man since the fall is able in this life to perfectly keep the commandments of God, but does daily break them in thought and word and deed. Unquote. And so what is Paul saying here? Paul is saying that all people are totally depraved. This is what was declared in Deuteronomy 27 and verse 26. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. All the people of Israel knew that they were lawbreakers, right as it was stated. There's no way. The moment they turned around, the moment they heard the words, they knew they were already failures, totally depraved. So when Paul says that to the Galatians, he's saying, listen, it doesn't really matter how much of the law you keep. If you want to be under the law, you have to be perfect. And the reality is you're not. You're totally depraved. Paul is not saying that As people, they are as sinful as they could be. He's not saying the the doctrine of total depravity does not say that even us as, as people are as sinful as we could be. But what the doctrine of total depravity says is that as people, we are corrupted by sin throughout in our body, in our soul, and in our spirit, and therefore we are under God's just curse. That we enter the world. That is simply to say that there is no part of us that has not been corrupted by sin. Men are, in Paul's words in Ephesians 2, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. What the Bible declares about us, our very personal experience reflects. This is exactly what our life is like in our own experience. Our experiences in life reflect broken relationships because of selfishness. Our experiences reflect self-centeredness, petty disagreements between families and friends and co-workers that destroy relationships. Wars go on between neighbors and We see it even today in the threats of wars happening and potentially happening between countries. And so the effects of sin are everywhere. Why? Because man is totally sinful. He cannot escape himself. And since it's true that all people are under the curse of the law because all are lawbreakers, then why would anyone attempt to base justification on the law? That's Paul's point. Why in the world would you try to attempt justification by the law? Notice in verse 11, Paul, or in verse 15, Paul says, I'm, I'm speaking in, uh, in terms of human relations. I, I, I want you to understand that. This is, this is all about how we live between one another because that reflects how our relationship is with God. You think you're good with God by your own actions, just look at your own life. Just look at how you live. If, if, you, if you want to be justified in that way, 
You want to be justified by your own merits at keeping law. And because you cannot do it, you have already failed. And the only thing you can get is the verdict of no justification. You are cursed. That is your place. In other words, to expect justification by the law is to expect the impossible. Why? Because the law cannot justify. The law can only curse. Realizing this, what does man do? Realizing that man is cursed in every way, what does man do? What did the Jews do? Realizing that they they did realize it. We know they realized it because of what they did. And what did they do? They tried to change the law. Adjust the law. Oh, I, I can't keep the law. Well, well, then I'll just adjust the law. I'll, I'll make it keepable. I'll, I'll reduce it down to the reducible minimum by which I can justify myself in terms of the law. And yet I still find out that I cannot keep it. I have to continue to adjust it down to the place where now I am a law in my own eyes. Just like Judges says when Israel was disobedient to God. Everyone was doing right in their own eyes. They were a law unto themselves. It's easy to be justified that way, but not before God. And so the problem is not with the law. The problem is with our sin. And so if keeping rules cannot justify us before God, then how can we be justified before God? Because there are only two inevitable possibilities. There are only two possibilities. There is no middle ground. There is no third place. There is no bridge gap between the two possibilities. Either I can be justified by myself, by my own efforts, or I am justified by another, by a substitute. And of course, it's the second that the Bible declares. That's the answer that is given to us in verses 11 and 12. Paul says, for as many as are of the works of the law, in verse 10, they're under curse. Know that, verse 11, that no one is justified by the law before God. It's evident. Why? Because the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. You see, righteousness only comes one way. It comes by faith. It doesn't come by merit keeping. It doesn't come by the law. The law cannot provide righteousness. It cannot declare someone righteous. In fact, isn't it interesting that Jesus came to fulfill the whole law? And yet Jesus was not, because he fulfilled the whole law, declared on that basis to be righteous. Jesus obeyed the whole law, and the law showed him to be what he was, righteous. He is inherently righteous. He was not declared righteous because he obeyed the law. Because the law cannot declare righteousness. The law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying that justification only comes one way. It comes by faith. It is impossible to be justified through law-keeping. Notice how this is presented to us, because it's presented to us by showing us that faith and works operate according to opposite realities. 
In other words, there are two different ways to live. One way is by doing, and the end result of that is simply the end road of cursing. The other way is by believing. Verse 11, the righteous man shall live by faith. Verse 12, the cursed man shall live by the law. In other words, believing and doing are mutually exclusive realities. They're mutually exclusive practices. If, if we live by faith, what are we doing? If we live by faith, we are resting in the reality that we are justified through another. We're resting in the reality that we cannot justify ourselves. There's no way to justify ourselves. We recognize the reality that God's law is perfect. We cannot keep God's law, that we are cursed under the law, and we need another. We need a substitute in our place who, by which we can be justified. And therefore, when we have faith, when we live by faith, we are resting in the reality that we are indeed justified by another or through another. That another is, of course, Jesus Christ. This is the heart of the gospel. Jesus Christ is our merit before God. This is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, He who made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's substitution. The imputation of our sin to Jesus Christ. The imputation of His righteousness to us. But notice, if we live by works, verse 12, if we live by our effort, if we carry out our life that way, our justification, that's what it means. If we attempt to be justified, that's the idea of live here. We are counting on that reality of our own merit, that it will be enough before God. We throw law in there in any way in which God sees us by way of a merit-based system to gain righteousness before God, then we are living by law and we must live by it perfectly. So either we trust God to justify us through another, which is His Son, or we trust ourselves to justify ourselves knowing that God only expects absolute, perfect keeping of the law. Now, this is very prevalent in the nation of Israel. If we just go back for a moment to Luke chapter 10, just to kind of show you this reality in the hearts and minds of the people. This was all over the place in their heart. Luke chapter 10 Jesus is teaching. He had just sent out the 70. They returned back. They're rejoicing at all that God had accomplished through them. And behold, verse 25, behold, a certain lawyer stood up. Jesus was talking to them. In verse 23, turning to the disciples, he means to those who he had sent out and all those who were crowded around as they returned. And he said privately, blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wished to see the things which you see and did not see them, and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. And so there's this lawyer who's nearby, this 
Sadducee, part of the Jewish hierarchy. He's nearby. He stands up. And put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? There's the question. Jesus, how do I... How do I become justified before God in my own life? What do I need to do? And Jesus says to him, well, what's written in the law? How does it read to you? Jesus is not saying and trying to intimate, yes, you can be actually justified by the law. Why? Because the law can only curse. But this one wants to be justified by the law. And so Jesus says, okay, what does it say? And he answers, verse 27, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He says, ah, very good. You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, listen, Go live that way. Do it perfectly. And you won't need to be declared righteous. You won't need justification. You will show an inherent righteousness in yourself because you will keep the law perfectly. Of course, what does the man say? Wishing to justify himself, verse 29, he says to Jesus, okay, who's my neighbor? In other words, let me exercise something that is in this life that I have something to do with. I mean, nobody can see my heart. Nobody can see my soul. Nobody can see the strength at which I love God. Nobody can see my mind. That, that's, that's an internal thing. Nobody can judge that. So you even, Jesus, can't judge me for that. I've done all that. So tell me who my neighbor is so I can fulfill that too. And of course, what does Jesus do? He tells him the whole story of the Good Samaritan. At the end, Jesus says, verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell the robbers? The lawyer says, the one who showed mercy toward him. Jesus said, you go and do the same. Knowing he would not, because Jews would have nothing to do with Samaritans. In other words, this is faith in action. It's not just some intellectual assent. This is the command of God. You go and do the law of God just as the law of God demands and requires of you, and you haven't done that. You are not going to be able to justify yourself. The law will never be able to do that. Galatians chapter 3, Paul's point with the Galatian believers is just that, faith and works. You either are justified by God through His Son, or you trust in yourself. But faith and works are not working on the same plane. Faith and works are two contrary different ways to live. The law will not curse you if it's not broken. Faith justifies you when you acknowledge your destitution of any personal merit and trust in Jesus Christ alone. But Paul says, the righteous man shall live by faith. Verse 11, of course, he's quoting from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. The prophet Habakkuk who told Israel that very thing. The righteous live by faith. 
And then in verse 12, he who practices them shall live by them. Verse 12, that's Leviticus chapter 18, which is the book of the law, which shows that God is perfectly holy. His law is perfectly holy. It is righteous and just. And therefore for you, you have to be perfect and holy and just. You have to be righteous in order to live according to the law, but you're not righteous. So the righteous are justified by faith. Justified meaning live eternally with God. They live with God by faith. The lawkeeper must perfectly practice all the law or he will be cursed. So the law is a completely different way of attempting to have eternal life. That's why Paul quotes from Leviticus chapter 12. In fact, here's, here's what he quotes out of Leviticus. It's not the whole thing that he says here in Leviticus chapter 12, because the whole thing is really encapsulated in chapter 18 of Leviticus, verses 4 and 5. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them, meaning he will never break them. I am the Lord. So when it says in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5, he shall live by them, what it means is that they will be kept perfectly. And if so, then there's no curse of the law. The law cannot justify. That is not a function of the law. Justification is a function of God by way of declaration. Justification is only something God can declare. The function of the law is to be the standard, and if the standard is broken, then the function of the law kicks in, which is to curse. So, if a person does them, a person lives by the law perfectly, they are not declared righteous. They actually show themselves to be righteous, and therefore they are not cursed. So there is only one way to be declared righteous. That is by faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus was perfect in all law keeping. Therefore, Jesus was never under a curse. He never broke any of the law. He was perfectly righteous. He was never declared righteous. He was righteous. And so Paul is saying the only way for us as believers, as those prior to salvation who are lawbreakers to be justified and have the curse that is on us removed, the only way for that to happen is what Christ has done. He became a curse for us. Christ is the believer's curse. Notice verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How did He do that? Having become a curse for us. Because it is written... Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. He redeemed us. Redemption is that language that we have talked about in the past, that language of payment. 
That language of a payment of a price being made in order that those who are kept captive are set free by the one they are owned by. We being owned by sin, we are under, as Ephesians 2 says, the prince of the power of the air. We are sons of disobedience. Christ became accursed for us. He who was under no curse, he who is righteous, willingly became a curse for us. Matthew 20, 28, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Ransom is in that word group of redeem. He paid the ransom. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You see, even the Apostle Peter is saying, listen, the only way to be redeemed is to be bought back by something that is spotless, something that has no tainting in it, something that is not under the curse, something that has no reason to be killed So in order to pay the ransom price, Jesus endured the curse of God's perfect law. He endured it as if he was a lawbreaker, as if he was under the curse, and so he was hung on a tree. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He was hung on a tree as a lawbreaker. It's like the thief that Jesus said would be with him in paradise as he said to the one hanging on the other side, don't you realize we are, we deserve what we get, but this man has just done nothing? Just listen to Deuteronomy 21, verse 22 and 23. If a man has committed a sin worthy of death, and he is put to death, And you hang him on a tree, his corpse shall not hang all night on the tree, but you shall surely bury him on the same day, for he who is hanged is accursed of God. That's Moses' words given to him by God about those who break the law. To be hung on a tree was the ultimate curse. It was to show publicly all people that you were guilty. And so you can understand if you were a Jew, you could think about that and think about the reality of that. Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. You can understand the offense that that is to a Jew who thinks the Messiah is still coming when you talk about Jesus being the Messiah. And they say, wait a minute, Jesus was hung on a tree. Cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. How could the Messiah who saves me be someone who has been cursed? How could someone who broke the law be my salvation? How could that kind of person save anyone? Paul said it this way, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we preach Christ and Him crucified. A stumbling block To the Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are the called, 
both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Seems unfathomable. Seems rather ludicrous. Seems crazy. Seems impossible, Paul is saying to the to these Galatian believers, it seems ridiculous. It, it, it's actually going against what these who have come in are saying, and yet it's the only thing that can justify you. In fact, notice what Paul will say in chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for flesh but through love serve one another for the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says, listen, you want to see the reality of the outworking of faith in Jesus Christ in your life? You want to see the outworking of true justification happening in the life of a person? See it in how they live. Walk by the Spirit, he says. Notice verse 19, now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God, But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. There's no law. Now those who belong to Jesus Christ, verse 24, have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. Paul says Jesus was our curse. Cursed Messiah was blasphemy to a legalistic Jew. Cursed Messiah is foolishness to a legalistic non-Jew. But Jesus Christ did become the curse for those who believe. Why? So that God's purposes would be accomplished? So that the Father's purposes would be accomplished? Notice verse 14, in order that, this is the purpose in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That's you and I. So that we, together with the Jews, that's the we there, the collective personal pronoun, so that we, Jews and Gentiles, might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Paul says Christ became a curse so that God could fulfill the promise that he made to Abraham. We were talking about the attributes of God a little earlier. One of the most encouraging attributes to me about God is the attributes of God that regulate God. Like his immutability. That God cannot change. Now that's a, an attribute of God that regulates God. Right? God cannot be who He is not. He cannot be something that is different from the attributes of who He is in His very nature. I'm thankful that God cannot change because God does not change what He said. 
God said to Abraham, I will bless all people through you. Right? Verse 8, all nations shall be blessed in you. That's the promise. The promise that you and I as lawbreakers could be blessed by God even though we're lawbreakers. Even though we're under a curse. Christ took our place. He was crucified to remove the curse. Since by faith we are not under the curse, we receive the Spirit. Right? In order that in Jesus Christ, you have to be in Jesus Christ, the unity with Jesus Christ, which comes by faith. In Christ, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we together might receive the promise, the blessing, the Spirit coming, dwelling within us so that we can do what God says, so that we can live in honor and glory to God. And that comes through faith. It's by faith alone that we have a right standing with God. It is by God's grace that we are saved and now we are equipped by the Spirit to live as we ought to live. Paul is saying to the Galatian believers, listen, you're never going to live to the standard by which God requires the way you think. It's not going to work. That only will bring cursing. The blessing of Abraham doesn't come through keeping the law. It never has. All of these facets of God's grace could never come to us by the works of the law. They only come through a union with Jesus Christ. And the way anyone is unified with Christ is by faith alone. There's no other way. As the song says, it's through the old rugged cross, right? It's by means of the old rugged cross where Christ became our curse. It's through the death of Jesus Christ whereby we are accepted by God's justifying mercy. So what was a curse for Christ becomes a blessing for us, but only by faith. So here's the question I want to leave us with tonight. Question for all of us. From where is our curse coming? From where is our curse coming? Is it coming from the law? Because we try to justify ourselves by our own morality. Or is it coming in Christ? Who has become a curse for us who believe in Him? That's the question. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the miracle of new birth is fresh every day as we continue to turn the diamond of salvation and look at the facets through which you in every way have made provision for sinners like us. It challenges our mind. It confounds our thinking. It 
causes us to be stretched so that we would not think like men and not think that you are like us. But that you would, by your grace and mercy, make a way whereby Christ would enter into his own creation, become a man, fully human yet fully God, living perfectly under every temptation to the, to the maximum degree that could ever be brought upon one who was perfect. Yet without sin, never cursed by the law, and yet brought under the curse of the law that we who are under the curse of the law might be freed from the curse of the law by faith in Christ. What a grace, what a mercy that you would show to us and accomplish that on our behalf. Oh, how we ought to live for you because of it. Oh, how we ought to think about Jesus Christ, that he is eternally sufficient for all things. He is sufficient for eternal salvation. He is sufficient for our growth. He is sufficient for our walk. He is sufficient for every day and every moment. We are secure in your hand because we are in Jesus Christ. Thank you for that truth. Help us never diminish it in our lives by how we live. Help us never be one who, through our own lives, live in such a way where it seems as if we're trying to earn your favor so that you would accept us. Forgive us for that. Forgive us for attempting the foolishness by being bewitched by our own thinking and the foolishness that sometimes we hear. Help us to rest solely on Christ. Even though we fail, even though we fail in this life, we know that you continue to love us because of your Son. We strive by the power of your Spirit to do what is right before you so that you are glorified, so that you are honored, so that others see Christ for who he is. Bless us in that way, all for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name.